Welcome to another episode of the Christian Combatives Podcast. I'm your host and servant in Jesus Christ, Paladin Actual. If you were with us in the last episode, in the last video, we were going through Pastor Connor's response to a video I made about the Lutheran Rosary. So if you haven't seen either my Lutheran Rosary video or you haven't seen uh, the first half of this uh, response video, I would highly encourage you to go and do that. Um, Again, there was a whole bunch of content covered in that video, and we're pretty much just going to pick up right where we left off. Uh, he was talking about, Pastor Connor was talking about the history of the Marian Rosary, the Marian devotions and stuff like that. He, For example, he explained that the pre-Trent and post-Trent versions of the Hail Mary are different. Pre-Trent, it would have been just two verses from the Bible, whereas post-Trent would include a, a, a request for Mary um, uh, to pray for us all. He's also He talked about the Fatima prayer and the development uh, of that, and currently he's talking about, uh, I believe it's the Mary Queen of Heaven prayer, um, and he's talking about, he, was, he just kind of was finishing talking about how, how problematic that part is, and that's why we wouldn't include it as Lutherans. We wouldn't include that in any sort of Lutheran uh, prayer discipline, or in this case, the specific prayer discipline of, uh, you would call the Marian Rosary. If you're going to pray, say for example you're praying, you're praying the, the, the rosary, and the rosary is, the, you know, the, the, the set of beads, the decades, and all these other things. And you're repeating the pre-Trent Hail Mary, the two verses from the Bible in Luke, talking about, you know, blessed are you, Mary. Um, he, he's basically saying that if you're doing that as a Lutheran, you're, con- you're, just, you're just praying the words of Scripture, which there's not a problem with that, but we, there's no real way to reconcile this Mary, Queen of Heaven um, uh, type prayer. So, I'll let him continue talking, and again, I haven't seen this half of the video yet, so I'll be pausing it to respond in time. I encourage you to go check out his his channel. Uh, I encourage you to check out his his video and listen to it in, in, in total. Um, and again, I'm listening to this sped up. I'm sure somebody's going to complain because they listen to me sped up. I swear, I'm talking as quickly as I can. <laughs> I'm trying to talk faster, but I just there's not enough caffeine in the world. So if you're listening to me sped up and I'm listening to him sped up, I'm sorry. <laughs> God be with you, and uh, may your ears be nimble. Let's continue. Something should be said about that, maybe. We'll see. Um, however, as this uh, this Marian rosary ended up to develop, as I said earlier, then came the Fatima prayer. So this comes at another Marian apparition, uh, as they say. And there there was this prayer of Fatima. I don't really know anything about Fatima. I don't really know anything about that. I'm not going to claim to. All I'm going to claim to say is that the Fatima prayer is amazing, um, and it is one of the most orthodox prayers that is ever prayed ever. And so, yeah, it's not a bad thing to pray. Now, what I want to say about that is that as we see it now, um, of course, we can talk about this post-Trent addition to the Hail Mary, um, and that is... Uh, that it is an invocation of St. Mary to pray for us. So I just, on this note, I want to say something. Something that's often said, you know, we only have one intercessor. That's not actually true. We have one mediator, which is Jesus Christ. We have many intercessors, right? Your father, your mother, your pastor, your brother, your friends, right? Do your pastors pray for you? I sure hope so. Are you a pastor? Do you pray for your congregation? I sure hope so. Is that a sin? No. Is it a sin to ask people to pray for you? No. What are people doing in the post-trend edition of the Hail Mary? Listen carefully. Again, for educational purposes, nobody get triggered, please. Holy Mary, Mother of God. See, if you disagree with that line, you're actually a heretic. Everyone gets it's not that you're not a Roman Catholic. <laughs> If Mary is not the mother of God, then Jesus is not God. This was this was already dealt with in several different councils. It cannot be brought up again. Um, no. Following this line is then, no pray for us sinners that. now and at the hour of our death. Is, so people say, why are they praying to Mary? They're not. They're simply asking her to pray for them. Now, so do the saints pray for us as Lutherans? I should sincerely hope, especially because it's in our liturgy. I don't know if uh, Pastor Powell, because he uses the LSB, the Lutheran Service Book of Missouri Synod, I don't know if he has a different Eucharistic preface or different Eucharistic prayers. So he might actually not have this in his uh, liturgy, but we do uh, in, in the LBW. We, we do have an attestation that when we join together in uh, the divine service, that there together with us are the angels in heaven, are all the saints triumphant, and that they are there praying with us, and indeed they are also praying for us. Um, does this go against any, any doctrine in the Lutheran Church? Not at all, no. Um, the, so really the controversy is not about whether or not saints pray for us. The, the controversy is whether we should ask them to do something that they already do. That's all. That was so. That's part of the controversy. So I mean, I already I already pray for members of my congregation, 
And it's not a problem for you to ask me to pray for you as well. In fact, a lot of people who aren't members of my congregation reach out and ask me to pray for them. Uh, we can pray for the entire world, in fact. We can pray for individuals, the entire world. There's all a, bit, a bunch of different ways to pray for different people. So the issue isn't so much if there are if the saints are already praying for us, should we ask them? The issue is, can they hear us? What are we What are we confessing when we say that by... Because that is what it is. The Mary, it, is a, it is a prayer. We're saying, oh, it's not a prayer to Mary. It, it kind of is. It's the method of communication. A prayer just means, you know, to pray just means to ask. Uh, now, of course, prayers can also be thanksgiving and all these other wonderful things, too. But in this sense, the, the Lutheran problem is not that the, pra- that the saints in heaven are, are praying for us. Yeah, they, we assume that they are. We, in fact, when we go to the Lord's Supper, we assume that we are eating with all the, all the heavenly hosts um, uh, and, and all the church around the world and, and throughout history, that we're communing together with all of the Christians and, you know, in heaven and on earth, and that this is a wonderful, uh, a wonderful thing that we celebrate in the Eucharist. But the problem is, is this— when we are asking, so if you want to ask me to pray for you, don't fold your hands and say, dear, you know, dear Paladin Actual, please, please pray for me in my time of need. I'm not going to hear you. And I'm on the earth with you. If I was in heaven, I'd be even further away than on the earth. The problem is that, that, that we can communicate with God. God knows our hearts, which is why, which is why we can pray silently. I think it was, was it Hannah or somebody, I think it was praying silently, and somebody said, you know, are you drunk? And she says, no, I'm praying. So we assume that there's nothing wrong with praying silently. You don't have to necessarily pray out loud. God doesn't need the sound waves. But your brothers and sisters on earth do need the sound waves, or you send them a text message or an email or something like that. The problem is that we have no way in Scripture that we know that we can communicate with those in heaven with the exception of God himself. And God himself requires prayer. And a lot of times people will say, well, well, prayer is worship. And I agree. I think that prayer is worship. Not in the sense of if you ask, you know, if you ask somebody else to intercede, it's, it's, you know, fellow brother in Christ, could you please pray for me? That's not you praying, you know, to them. That's, you know, so you want to make that distinction. You want to say, you know, in some cases prayer is worship, in some cases prayer isn't worship, fine, whatever. Problem is, how are you communicating with those in heaven? Now, there's a, I think it was it Revelation 12 or something like that, where it's talking about uh, the saints bring a bowl of, uh, of prayers as, as of incense. They bring it to the altar of God. So there is some biblical passage that talks about this idea of the saints presenting the prayers as incense, as, as a burnt offering to God. But that is not the same thing as saying you are communicating with the saints, and then the saints are communicating to God. So it's like if you send a letter to somebody, and expect that the postman is going to read it. Like the, the, the mailman is going to read it. He's not the one reading it. When you're praying to Mary, when you're asking for intercession for Mary, you're communicating to Mary, not to God. God knows your heart. God alone knows your heart, in fact. But somehow you are you you believing that you can communicate to the saints in heaven. Now people say, well, you know, like I say, well, how do you, how do you talk with somebody who's dead? Well, the saints in heaven are alive. Well, yeah, they're also dead though. I mean, like the Bible does talk about the people dying and going to heaven. There is, there's an aspect of death and there's an aspect of life. And we don't want to get him confused. Well, the saints in heaven are more alive than, than we are on earth. Okay, fine. You know, let's be all esoteric about our language and stuff like that. But the fact remains, how are you communicating? Is there any biblical prescription or description of somebody communicating with a departed saint? Now there's Saul, in the Old Testament, that's not a good thing. He communicates, what was it, Samuel? He communicates with Samuel through a necromancer. That's not a good thing. So obviously, you know, we don't want to do that. But are there any other examples of people? I mean, there, what did Jesus tell the parable of, the, of, of Lazarus and the, um, and the rich man or whatever? And, and the rich man is in hell and he's, and he's communicating with 
oh no, he didn't even communicate with Lazarus. He communicates with Abraham. He says, you know, send Lazarus to dip his finger in water. But that's a, that, that's a parable, and that's the point of the parable. Is it like a prescription or a description of, of how we communicate? And even then, that would be like people in hell communicating with people in heaven. That's a whole different problem. So the, the issue is not, the, the, the issue is multifold. It's it manifold. It is, one, prayer is often worship. So when you're praying, and, and the prayer is directed at Mary. It's not directed at God. It's directed at Mary. And you're asking Mary to do something for you. Is that done in a worshipful context? Is that what you mean by it? Because for some people it is. For you, is it? Maybe not. Maybe you just think you're asking a fellow Christian to inter- intercede for you. Um, in which case, poor Mary gets probably more than anybody else. She probably gets more people asking her to, to intercede for her than even Jesus does. Um, like, let's be honest here. There's, there's a lot more, because of Marian devotion, a lot of people are more inclined to, to pray to Mary in some denominations. But that's, you know, here nor there. So, is it, is it worship? And then the second one is, what makes you think they can hear you? What makes you think that the, that the saints in heaven can hear you? That you're praying to them. Now, again, they bring your prayers before God, but that doesn't mean that they're receiving your prayers. That just means they're involved in the worship. If your prayer is worship to God, well, that kind of indicates that prayer as incense is worship. If that's going to God, then they're not receiving that themselves. They're offering it to God. It's not their prayer. It's not you pray to them, and they or you inter, you ask them for intercession, and then they pray to God. That's not what's happening. Is your prayers are being offered to to God, uh, God Himself. Uh, so can they can they even hear you? Is is I guess the second one. Um, the third one is: Does the Bible ever say that that's what you should be doing? Ever? Yeah, you should be talking to your brothers and sisters and praying together. But does is there any sort of biblical prescription or description or implicit or explicit example of somebody communicating with a departed saint in order to have them pray? I mean, the issue isn't so much that you're asking somebody to pray who's already praying. The issues are the three that I listed. Is it worship? Can they hear you? Where does this idea even come from? So uh, of this, I'm not going to really make a a whole lot of light, uh, sorry, a whole lot of uh, business on this. In my opinion, um, and we will get to this later in the Oxford Confession, especially in the Cult of, of the Saints, as well as we drive that whole concept through the rest of the Book of Concord is this. When you look in the Book of Concord, in any, in any article regarding the Cult of the Saints or praying to saints or invoking the saints the concern, and I was just discussing this, the episode's not up yet, but it's on, on um, I forget what Colbin Wanger calls it, but it's essentially on Audiophora and human traditions in the church is that the concern is never, uh, should we do the, is it wrong to say, should we do the thing or not? Or can we do the thing or not? He's saying, no, 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 that's not the issue. The issue is always whether or not by doing so, people are saying it's one instituted by God or saying that it merits the forgiveness of sins or that it's necessary for salvation. Meaning if you don't do it, you're not saved. And actually even in the harshest, harshest, most hardline article against the invocation of the saints in the book of Concord, which is in the small cult articles, in case you're wondering, yes, I do know that off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, that is because uh, this comes up too much, right? But in that article, what he's saying is it is against the gospel to invoke the saints. Why? Because he says in doing so, they think that they merit the forgiveness of sins and that it's necessary for salvation. And that's what this is. Okay, so. I mean, again, there's another reason that I gave. So even if you're even if you're not concerned about meriting the forgiveness of sins and the invocation of the saints, again, are you worshiping them? Are you sure that they're going to receive it? Like, like you, I mean, you could say, okay, well, carrying around a miraculous medallion won't invoke the forgiveness of sins. It's adiaphora, therefore, right? So you should trust in it like a lucky charm. That doesn't. I mean, it doesn't necessarily follow. Like there, there are things that we have to consider. Should we do this or should we not do this? More than just, is it involved in salvation? We should be intentional about everything that we do, including uh, inv- asking the saints in heaven to pray for us. Why? Why would we do that specifically? And are there any restrictions we can imagine? Are there, are there any reasons why maybe we shouldn't do that? Well, let's be intentional. Don't just wave things away and say, it's adiaphora, let's just do it if you feel like it. 
which I don't think he's what he's saying here, but still, that's <laughs> that's a pretty common argument. It's like, well, let's you know, you know the Bible doesn't explicitly forbid it. Therefore, knock it off. <laughs> is it good? Like, what does it accomplish? What is what is the function? What, let's be specific. Specific. I don't know. I feel like a like a robot on this. Like, let's be specific. You know, intentional, intentional, specific. I'm gonna get that tattooed on my eyelids. Actually, ultimately about. Um, it's, it's not actually ultimately about any of those other things. Now, does that mean that you should go and invoke saints? No, I don't think that you should necessarily go and invoke saints. Um, what I do think, though, is that the idea that this rosary thing needs to be demonized simply because there's um, people asking saints to do things that we should already believe that they're doing for us is absurd. Um, what, I, what I do also think, on top of that, is, is this one thing. When you, look at, when you look at what we were just talking about, we're talking about the creed, we're talking about the Our Father, we're talking either about simply meditating upon Scripture, that's really what we're doing. We're not just reading Scripture just to learn it once, but we're actually meditating on it, memorizing it, we're engaging in mental prayer, we're engaging in contemplative prayer, we're meditating upon the mysteries uh, of the Holy Gospel, bringing to mind uh, these things of, of the birth of Christ and the Annunciation and the Magnificat and the Nuctimidus and the Benedictus and all of these amazing different things uh, and the crucifixion and the resurrection and the Eucharist. The idea that that would be demonized is so pathetic and stupid and demonic. The, uh, beyond that, the, the glory be to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit. Even the Fatima prayer, Oh my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell and lead all souls to heaven, especially those most need of thy mercy. What do you have against that? What do you have against any of this? And again, a lot of Cal's arguments are not against the prayers themselves. True. A lot of those things he's saying are about why do you need, why do you need numbers, why do you need tens, and why do you need beads and fidget spinners in your prayers, which I think is, I think it is funny. It's a funny argument. Um, uh, or a funny question, at least. So what I want to say then is, so that's what the Mary or an abacus. Now this concept of the Lutheran rosary, then, and this is really what uh, Pastor Cal was talking about. Pastor Cal was saying the Lutheran rosary is very similar to the Lutheran rosary, sorry, to the Marian rosary, the Roman Catholic rosary, because Luther himself wanted to stay very closely to the Roman Catholic Church. One note about this is that this is not something uh, that was invented by Luther or any early Lutherans. They, we do have accounts of early Lutherans using variations on the rosary, the Marian rosary. Um, but we do not have this uh, notion of the Lutheran Rosary. This actually came around in the 1970s, and the same thing was done by the Anglicans, and that's called the Anglican Rosary. I'll talk to you about both of them. So the, the Lutheran Rosary, let's talk a little bit about that first. So you're saying it came around in the 1970s? I wasn't aware of the history of like when it came around. So this is like really, this is like Seminex era thing. My One of my concerns is not, you know, whether or not Luther used it or not. My, one of my concerns is that a lot of people have this idea that this notion that their desire is to appear Roman Catholic. They say, well, you know, all the Templars and all the prayer beads and all these other things, you know, regardless of their function, if I use them, I will appear pious. Pious is one of those buzzwords you throw around when you don't have a good reason to do something. It's pious. Let's use it, you know, you know Semper Virgo is pious, or the rosary is pious, or like, you know, wearing a Templar helmet is pious. It's like, oh, come on, like, engage the brain a bit. <laughs> why, why are you doing these things? But, yeah, okay, keep going. Before I do that, just one note on this concept that Luther wanted to stay close to the Roman Catholic Church. That is true. Uh, but when we see people saying things uh, such... Oh, so I, so um, I, I'm not sure what I said specifically to, 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 that, that, he, that he's referencing here. I would say that Luther, Luther did not want to discard anything that was, that was beneficial, that was edifying. Um, there is, and this is, a, a, unfortunately, much of the Reformed tradition is that they want to start tabula rasa, and they say, well, you know what, there's just, let's throw the baby out with the bathwater and start over again, because there's just too much, you can't unentangle it. And I think that there's things that Luther believed and, and, and maybe taught, and, and possibly even did, that aren't necessarily the best. <laughs> you know, you can disagree with Luther and be a Lutheran, and you can say that there's better things than what, what Luther uh, did here and there. Um, so I, I don't think his idea was ever, was ever, I'm just going to stick as close to the Roman Catholic Church as possible, period. Uh, I think his idea was, this is the Christian church as it developed in the West, and let's maintain as much of these beneficial edifying traditions and beliefs and practices as have function. Um, so if your goal is to just have a, Luther, have a rosary because it makes you look Roman Catholic, like, repent, you know? It's, that's like the worst reason to have it. I mean, well, not the worst reason, probably the worst reason. I could imagine somebody having it is believing it was like a good luck charm or, 
or wor- no worse than that is exactly what you what you mentioned regarding the um the the um prayers to the saints is, is believing that it has something to do with salvation now again i haven't encountered too many people who say you know unlike the brown scapular uh, that the that having a rosary on you will somehow save you. I have never encountered somebody who who believed that, but I can imagine that probably being one of the worst things somebody could come to, worst conclusion somebody could come to. This is why education is important. <laughs> you know, people uh, when people start making stuff up, things get things get dicey. All right, I'm stop interrupting for a bit. Just complaining about tradition, uh, complaining about Adi Offer being done. See, Adi Offer doesn't mean you shouldn't care about a thing. Adi Offer means it's not instituted by God, does not merit your forgiveness of sins, it's not a law of God, it's not a sin to not do it. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. A lot of Adi Offer are things that we should do, are things that are right to do, are things that are beneficial to do. Agree. Okay. Absolutely. So the Lutheran Rosary, then all it changes really is well, one for one. Uh, I don't think in the official Lutheran Rosary write up that you have the glory uh, to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, and that happens uh, either if, on this particular bead as well as uh, before these. Um, I forget what these are called, these larger beads. Um, it happens there as well as the, the, the uh, Fatima prayer. Of course, the Lutheran Rosary has no Fatima prayer, and that has to do with the fear of uh, Marian apparitions. Of course, other than that, the prayer is amazing. Um, and the uh, instead of Hail Marys, which there's really no no issue with it because it's just scripture and meditating upon scripture is not really speaking to Mary, as a lot of people think that it is. Rather, what the pre-trend Hail Mary is, is a meditation upon the Annunciation, which is really what? A meditation upon heaven breaking into earth, of salvation coming to us in the form of a baby. And yes, it speaks of an exaltation of Mary, but in so doing, it speaks of an exaltation of Mary as a type of all humanity in the church exalted and risen up in Christ. This is the essence of the Magnificat, that God has um, has lowered those who are high up, which is himself only, and he's lifted up the lowly, that he's um, sent away uh, the rich and he's filled up the hungry. That this is, again, it's the fulfillment of the gospel of reversal. Yep. The exaltation that we have as sinners become fully righteous, the, the true righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. And he who knew no sin for us became sin. That, that's the whole message here. So Amen. what they did was they removed the Hail Mary anyways with the Jesus prayer, which is Lord <laughs> Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me. And now let me say something about this as well. This, I think, is an amazing thing that they've done. And this is not to demonize people who say the pre-trend Hail Mary at all. What it is to say is, um, and I say this to my parishioners a lot, the real issue that Lutherans should or could have with the Marian Rosary is not the prayers in and of themselves, except for that uh, request for the invocation of the saints, which again is something that we're going to get anyways. What, it, what, it, what the, that problem should really be is the ratio, the matter of ratio. So if you're saying 10 Hail Marys, right? One Our Father, one even one Gloria Patri, one uh, Fatima Prayer, these things are centered around Christ himself. Now, the Hail Mary, yes, it is about Christ himself, but in a less direct kind of way. Whereas the Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me, the Jesus Prayer, is very in your face directly to and about Christ and his mercy on you. It's, it's more obvious, it's more upfront. Uh, the Hail Mary as a prayer uh, or a piece of meditation, uh, gospel meditation, is less direct in its gospeliness for the sake of your soul through Christ. I love that, the gospeliness. Man, Pastor Connor hit it on the head. Hit that nail on the head, and this is one of the problems that that a, a lot of uh, a lot of Lutherans, uh, a lot of Christians have with a lot of the things developed from Roman Catholics, and and this is like prayer or art or hymns or or or, or you know liturgical practices or things like that. Is that there is potentially a problem a lot of times with more attention, more devotion. It seems to be given to to Mary than to Christ. Now, if you want to glorify, you know, say glory be to God through you know you know, what you did to your servant Mary, what you did through your servant Mary, and that's one thing to do. But it, I mean, it really does get excessive when every painting you see has this giant picture of the Queen of Heaven, and then maybe Jesus is tucked away somewhere, or it's just the Mary instead. Like, you can, by trying to glorify God through what he did through Mary, you can lose focus and uh, and lose the focus that's supposed to be on God alone. Um, so Pastor Connor's absolutely right here. So even though you would, you know, you could potentially keep the pre-trend Hail Mary because it's just the 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 two verses from from the chapter or from Luke, the issue of of giving more time and dedication um, to to Mary, even if you're glorifying God through that, that definitely could be problematic. So I think he's absolutely spot on with that critique right there. So in that way, I think we can say it's it's a Lutheranization of something that has been done. Now, uh, most of the meditations are retained, except those last two glorious mysteries. So basically what you're doing is you're going through those, Lord Jesus Christ, have, have mercy on me, um, a sinner. And as you're doing that, you're meditating on the ways that he has mercy on you. Now, on this note, um, 
uh, Pastor Kel was saying he doesn't like this idea of meditating on the mysteries of the Holy Gospel because he thinks that if you're doing that while praying, verbal prayers, that you will not be focusing enough. Again, this comes back to the idea of the propositional worldview. Now, one solution I have that I think it, it, it takes heed to Pastor Kel's uh, concerns as well as digs deeper into the richness of what we have in mental and contemplative prayer is this notion, uh, not notion, but this practice of on this bead, instead of just announcing the mystery and immediately meditating on it with one Our Father and 10 Jesus prayers, is to read the text, indeed. And through reading the text, uh, every single time you pray those mysteries or meditate on those mysteries, you will eventually m memorize all of those texts. That's a great idea. That is a fantastic idea. If 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 you are going, and again, think about this, like if you watch the previous video, he talks about how monks would use these beads to count their way through the Psalms. If through counting your way through these beads, you're counting your way through these different te texts of Scripture, then this is just this is just a devotional practice. This is just a structure, a tool to help you read more about God's Word. So it's not that you're trying to re repeat the Lord's Prayer, let's say, over and over and over, while you're trying to also think about you know, Jesus at the wedding at Cana, um, but that, okay, you get to this bead and you're like, hey, this bead reminds me, I've, I should, I should, you know, I should look up this, this Bible passage and I should read it and I should know it by heart because I, you know, I've read it so many times because let's, I mean, the Bible is wonderful cover to cover, but there's some passages that you should absolutely know better than other ones. John three sixteen is one of them. Um, so this is, yeah, you know what? I think that's an absolute wonderful step in the right direction. And the scheme that I've been plotting in the last in the last video, I'm developing this further as I as I listen to these ideas. I have I have an idea of something uh, to to make something that might actually be beneficial instead of me just tearing everything down. I might actually make something. So well, stay tuned for that. And you can go and you can find lists of all of those texts. So for example, what is today? Today is Wednesday. Today is the glorious mysteries. So it's the account of the resurrection. So you would go, you'd pick whatever's your favorite gospel and you'd memorize that. Um, the second mystery then for the, the glorious mysteries on Wednesdays and Sundays is you would go and you would memorize that text of the assumption in whatever gospel you want. Then you would go and you would memorize the text or read the text if you've not memorized it yet for that of Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then see, I don't know exactly what the Lutheran prayer mystery or Lutheran rosaries, uh, last two glorious mysteries are, but they're the, 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 the Marian ones are the assumption of Mary and the, uh, the crowning of Mary. Other than that, those are the only two, those are the only two um, non-Lutheran friendly and it's not even necessarily non-Lutheran friendly because for example, the crowning of Mary, the text for that is uh, Revelation 12. Um, and this is something, it, it's in the Bible again, so it should be it should be fine for us. Uh, even uh, the Assumption of Mary, uh, if, if you take issue with that because uh, you're a Dormetian person, that's fine, you can do that too. It's not uh, against the Bible. So I, I, I personally, what I guess I'm saying is I don't really see any of these uh, issues as a problem. I would, so for the for for the crowning of Mary in heaven, the, the passage in Revelation, I mean, it would take it would take at least another video to get into it, but I don't think that's talking about Mary, um, especially if you read the passage in context. I think that, that it's it's really a stretch to kind of look at the text and say, yep, that's that's Mary. She's the she's the queen of heaven. Now, the assumption of Mary into heaven, there's other pastors who have done wonderful work on kind of talking about this, like the expectation. I think it was, I don't remember if it was, it was Matt Winger, Gavin Ortland, somebody like that. Maybe it was uh, Jay Coops was talking about the ex, you know, the expectation that all these early church fathers who would have maybe necessarily known uh, Mary and known that she was assumed into heaven, how when they're talking about people being assumed into heaven, they talk about um, people like Elijah and they talk about Enoch, um, but they never mention Mary as as one of them. And you would expect that if they if they make multiple references to people being assumed into heaven in that sort of in that sort of way, that they would have included probably the most famous example, which would have been Mary. Um, I mean, again. Other people have done videos on, on on the assumption of Mary, and it has no bearing on your salvation one way or the other. So if you believe in the assumption of Mary, it's not like you're going to hell. Like So it's definitely something to have a conversation about, to try to figure out. It's never explicitly stated in Scripture. Uh, it's never explicitly stated, and then Mary died and was buried here, and her grave is here with us to this day in Scripture either. So could it have happened? Possibly. Um, why would we believe that it happened? That's something that uh, is worth having a conversation about. Um, yeah. So, yep, let's keep going.
uh, as he's doing, but only beneficial things. Um, and they all they all have already scriptures set out for them. If you go and you buy a book, he says he has a book. I don't know if it has the scripture references there for him. I think it might. Um, there's a reason why those scripture references are all there already. They are for reading them instead of simply announcing the mystery and immediately meditating upon them. So the idea that we would be oh, the, the, so he's ref um, I had a um, I had a little pamphlet that came with uh, the the rosary. Uh, it doesn't have the mysteries. It just kind of has them listed. I mean, it's a little like it, think about it like it's not even a postcard size pamphlet. It's like a sticky note size pamphlet. So it just has them has them listed. The, the unfortunate part is it doesn't even have the uh, the Bible verse listed. Now, if you look at um, uh, Brother Logan's uh, pamphlet that he's developed for the Lutheran Rosary, is it does actually, if I remember right, it does it does actually have the specific Bible chapter and verse. Um, a book, book chapter and verse listed, which is more beneficial uh, than yeah, than the the little pamphlet that I had that just didn't have space for that much information. I assume engaging in mental prayer or contemplative prayer. Uh in, uh, not in exchange for, but instead of reading the text itself and memorizing the text itself, those two things are not contradictory. They go hand in hand. I agree. Um, but that is to say that the idea that there would be no room for uh, contemplative prayer or mental prayer, I think, is simply just um, wrong. So then we have something else that's called the Anglican Rosary. And Anglican Rosaries are not actually using the same structure, the same object as the Roman and the Lutheran Rosaries, but they actually invented something slightly different. And instead of 10 beads for a decade, they have seven, I believe, and they call them weeks. And uh, instead of five uh, decades here, I believe they have, what is it, three or something? It's shorter. It's a completely different size, but the structure is basically the same. And this is something that I want to say again uh, to Father Cal or Pastor Cal or whatever. Um, a lot of these concerns that you are having, um, they're not, they're either, I would say, not legitimate or they can be fixed quite easily. So one of these concerns is already solved uh, by the Anglican Rosary. And what this does is. It they can be fixed easily if we don't use the, the Lutheran Rosary, is what you're saying. So you're explaining that there are different structures of rosary. There's different structures of kind of prayer beads or prayer knots or, or you know, these, these, different, uh, these different tools around the world and that have been used in different contexts and in different places in history and stuff like that, um, which is, again, why I would say, why do you need to use the Roman Catholic configuration if you're going to pray the Lutheran rosary? Why not? You know, I'll tell you in this, I'll let you know the secret now. You heard it, you heard it here first, folks. I'm going to develop... My own rosary, and it's not going to be my rosary. I'm going to call it, um, I'll call it a prayer chain. Isn't that clever? I'm going to call it a prayer chain. And I'm going to configure it so it has a very intentional amount of beads on it. In fact, well, I'll, I'll get into the details later. I'm actually pretty excited about this project. The more I think about it, there's no reason we need to stick to the Roman Catholic configuration. As Pastor Connor is explaining, there's an Anglican configuration as well, and I'm sure there's a bunch of other configurations that serve different, different functions. So if we're going to develop something to use as Lutherans, let's be intentional and develop something that will specifically assist in what we're trying to accomplish with it. So this is an, this is an excellent point um, that Pastor Connor is bringing up. Oh, I'll let him keep removes the Hail Marys with whatever other Bible verse, because the Hail Mary is a Bible verse, it's two Bible verses put together, with whatever other Bible verse you would want. Um, and then what you can do on the uh, on the larger beat, if you didn't want to pray in Our Father, you can pray a larger piece, a piece of the text. And a lot of Anglican pastors, priests, whatever they call themselves, have put together these lovely books and these lovely um, things that are tied actually to the lectionary, to the Revised Common Lectionary, and whatever edition they're using of it. And what it does is, basically, for every given Sunday, you will have, I don't know if it's the same for every single set of weeks, and then whatever they call the large bead, or if it's for, for the whole day, or if it's different, or whatever, but you're basically going to memorize one verse of one of the texts, and then you're going to read the whole text, and then you're going to memorize and then read the whole text. And so, uh, with that, I don't know even what your, your only complaint could be against something like that, other than... I my complaint was against the Lutheran Rosary. What you're explaining here sounds like it fixes a lot of the problems that I saw in the Lutheran Rosary. So there we go. I don't understand why we would use a physical object, or I don't understand why we would have a numbered structure to this. For example, with, with, the, with the decades, the numbered structure of 10 plus 10 plus 10 plus 10 goes all the way up to 150. It's coming from its, its own developmental root, which is coming out of the Liturgy of the Hours. And the Liturgy of the Hours comes out of the Jewish prayer, right? This, all of this, it comes from somewhere. All of this is organically connected. And he said, why do you like this stuff? Is it just because it's old? It's not just because it's old, right? It is the faith and the practice of our fathers. You can actually trace uh, its development down through time. It is a beautiful... 
I mean, again, there's a lot of things that the church has practiced and, and, and done that are that are ancient. Some of them are more new. You're giving an example of the Anglican, uh, the Anglican bead configuration, which you say is newer. And um, just because it's old doesn't mean it's good. Just because it's new doesn't mean it's bad, and vice versa, vice versa as well. Uh, my problem is that it does seem that for some people, that the attraction is one that they will look Roman Roman Catholic. I'm not saying avoid it because it looks Roman Catholic. I'm saying that for some people, they desire it because they believe that the Roman Catholic kind of expression of the Christian faith is more pious, it's more outwardly pious, and they want to emulate that, and they want to they want to engage in as much piety as possible, and that they feel that this is the best way to do it. Um, but then other ones will say, well, it's an ancient tradition. And again, this is the same argument that comes up a lot of time for Semper Virgo. It's all, well, look at these church fathers believed it. Martin Luther believed it. It's like, okay, so it's an old belief. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's true. Um, do you have anything like, what's, what's the source of it? Uh, what's the source of this tradition? So again, he, Pastor Connor talked about in the previous video, he talked about like the 150 beads or whatever. He talked about that being a reference, uh, well, not a reference. He talked about that originating with counting through 150 psalms. So this is, this is wonderful information, excellent stuff to, uh, to get to know. Why do we do what we do? Why is the, the bead structure the way it is? Well, because it started out this way. Um, if we're not using it to count through all the psalms, we don't need 150 beads. Uh, as he's exp explaining with, uh, with the Anglican Rosary. So why don't we have uh, something a little bit more custom? Let's keep going. Thing ...that has nourished the faith and the life and the salvation of many, 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 many Christians. It is something that gets people to actually memorize and be on and in and meditate on uh, the, the creed, right? Uh, Orthodox theology of the Trinitarian God, the uh, praying the Our Father, the glory be to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, meditating, memorizing scripture, whatever that looks like. Um, I don't think it can possibly be a bad thing. Uh, we were actually also asked to do... Um, I never did it because I think uh, someone said I shouldn't do it because it's, it's too high church or something. But, uh, <laughs> someone, someone had asked me what uh, my opinion is, not what Transcendent Truths have been. And I, should, I, should, I will also put a disclaimer on this video that Roland uh, has no part in this video. So if people hate me for this, you can hate me for this. Don't uh, bring him into this at all. Oh dear. But uh, I was asked to speak on what my opinion is of the Divine Mercy Chaplet and what a Lutheran uh, basic version of the Divine Mercy Chaplet would look like, what it would be like. And basically the Divine Mercy Chaplet is you're going to take your, your rosary, your object, right? Your Roman Catholic, your Lutheran rosary, whatever you you, you call your uh, set of beads here, and on this this uh, crucifix, you're going to say the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then you're going to pray, Oh my Jesus, and no, sorry, not Oh my Jesus, but Oh Jesus, no, you expire, Jesus. I forget how it goes, but a uh, fountain of life opened up for souls, and an ocean of mercy poured forth for sinners, or something like that. Uh, and then you say, uh, Oh blood and water which poured forth from the heart of Jesus, I trust in you three times. And then on these uh, these uh, these beads, you pray here the uh, what is that? Sorry, no, here you pray the um, the creed. You pray the Our Father. No, you pray the Our Father, then the Hail Mary, then the creed, and then uh, you you do um, how does it go? Sorry. Um, Eternal Father, I offer you the body, the blood, soul, and divinity of your dearly owned beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, as atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. And then on these, you say, um, for the sake of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world. And then you just repeat that. You go through the whole thing. And then you end there's conclusory prayers. I forget what the optional concluding prayer is, um, but the uh, mandatory concluding prayer is the Trisegion, Holy, Mighty, Holy, Immortal. But then it says, have mercy on us and on the whole world, which is uh, just a, a version of what is said earlier in this Divine Mercy uh, chaplet. So it's again, it's the same idea as basically what you're going to do with uh, a Marian Rosary or a Lutheran Rosary or an Anglican Rosary. Uh, so I'm not I'm not I'm not familiar with it. So I'll, I'll say in advance I'm not familiar with the chaplet at at all. Um, this is your explanation of this to me is uh, is entirely new to me. So I'm not going to speak on this as authoritative as though you know I, I'm you know infinitely familiar with this. But um, one of the you know the prayer that you said at the beginning or whatever that was you know we offer you the, the body and blood of of uh, of Christ. You're offering this to the Father. This is a Roman Catholic practice of uh, they either call it the resacrific three. Resacrificing or the re-offering of of the body and blood of Christ, and this is one of the one of the things that they do during during their celebration of the Eucharist that is not is 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 rejected for very good reason by by Lutherans is that we are not offering the body and blood of Christ to the Father. It was already offered and accepted 
and finished on the cross. The sacrifice was already performed on the cross. What we were doing now is we were offering what Jesus went on the cross. We we're offering that to the people. It's to the people that the Eucharist is given, not to God. Um, so again, maybe I have to go back and listen to it uh, to it again. That would be my concern over over one of the prayers that I think that that, that you mentioned is is anything that we're like we're offering the body and blood of Christ to the Father. We're, we're not. It's he's already accepted the sacrifice. We're not offering it. it Jesus is not re-offering it. We're not re-sacrificing it. Um, anything like that, like I would be very, you know, like, ooh, let's uh, pay, pay, pay close attention to, to what we're saying there. So let's keep going. But you're doing it in this in this form. And basically the structure of the Divine Mercy Chaplet is formulated for remembering the suffering, the passion, and the death of Christ for you and for the whole world. Now, a lot of uh, people have wondered, what is the Lutheran opinion of the Divine Mercy Chaplet? Because it seems almost okay entirely. Now, for example, how would you solve this almost. question for Lutherans of that, that Hail Mary on this on this bead right here? This is only one Hail Mary in the whole Divine Mercy Chaplet. Simply, again, it's just a repetition of, of Scripture. Just pull out the invocation of uh, of St. Mary there, then you fix the problem. Um, in regard to this, okay. uh, this three repetition on these earlier beads of Oh, blood and water, which poured forth from the heart of Jesus, I trust in you. Well, this gets down to a very complicated and already solved discussion in the early church, which was, is the humanity of Christ God? Is the flesh of Christ God? Is the flesh of Christ something that we can worship as God? And the, and the only orthodox answer is yes. So a lot of people, they know that I have on my Facebook okay. wall, uh, my uh, cover photo is an image of the Sacred Heart. A lot of people who know me in real life, they know I have a hat that has the Sacred Heart on it. Um, now, the Sacred Heart also is controversial for the same reason. And they say, actually, it's Nestorian. This is the heresy that everybody's trying to say everything is, right? So they say, if you're actually separating uh, the heart of Jesus and worshiping the heart of Jesus or speaking to... Um, the idea of trusting in the blood and water which poured forth from the heart of Jesus, then you're an historian, you're separating Christ, but this is not true. And the way that the church... Well, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure he's going to explain exactly what I'm going to, what I'm going to say is, no, absolutely. Um, the, uh, we talk about, I mean, the blood of Christ covers us. Uh, we're covered by the blood of Christ. And the Bible does talk about specific, um, specific elements, uh, well, I don't know, elements, elements of Christ, I guess, you know, uh, the, the baptism, we often, we often come, you see this sometimes in art, is we often connect the water of baptism, I mean, to, you know, the, the Noahic flood and all these other things. One of the things we connect it to is the water that came from the side of Christ when he was pierced by the spear. So we would say that the water and the blood that spring forth from the rock of our salvation, that is Christ on the cross, that these things we can absolutely say, you know, God has saved us with his blood. Well, yes, I mean, Jesus died on the cross with his, with his, with his, whole, with his whole self. Um, but, I mean... I, I, I don't, I mean, understood properly, I don't think that it, it, it's a problem. I think that this would be a problem sans education. Um, but this is, again, this is why pastors are called not just to do things, but to educate people. Like, why are you doing it? Well, let's explain this prayer a little bit more. It's like the Lord's Prayer, uh, lead us not into temptation, that that, that line. Like, like re somewhat recently, the papacy was like, ooh, I don't know about this line of the Lord's Prayer. We've got to, you know, it's, 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 it's weird how to explain it. It's like, dude, that was explained in Luther's small catechism ages ago. Properly understood, lead us, into lead us not into temptation. Uh, that's from the Bible. It, it's it's easy to understand once you want, once you've had it explained to you. I can also see people misunderstanding it, and coming to the wrong conclusion. So again, a lot of this stuff would be fixed by um, by by pastors kind of training the the parishioners about you know this is why we say what we say, this is what it means, this is what we mean, and so on and so forth. That's how Christians have done it for thousands of years. Which has always solved this is simply to say that there is one worship that is given to Christ, but that same one worship is given to his flesh, that same one worship is given to his heart, because they are all, they are all together, this one Christ, right? So the humanity of Christ, the divinity of Christ, they are together in one person. This is one Christ. We worship him as one Christ. Yes. So, 
Um, another complaint that you get on this is this notion of why would we be trusting the blood and water? Well, first of all, aside from the fact that the blood and water are Christ, they come from Christ, then you have this concept of, well, if you're going to make a big stink about this, then the, again, the conclusion is going to lead down to, can you trust in baptism? Can you trust in the Eucharist? And some people, even Lutherans, <laughs> would genuinely uh, say, no, you can't. They would say, you cannot trust in baptism. You have to trust in Christ. You cannot trust in the Eucharist. You have to trust in Christ. You cannot trust in the absolution of sin. You have to trust in Christ. But the true Lutherans, we would say, what? They're the same thing. What does Christ baptism is present Jesus Christ. It unites you to his baptism. life, his death, his resurrection. Yes. Himself. You're all who have been baptized put on Christ. Do you not yes. know that all who have been baptized have been buried into Christ's death and risen within the new life? This is what St. Paul is saying. Uh, the Eucharist, too. What do you receive there? You receive Christ. So, of course, this idea of uh, trusting in something that's not Christ, it's not going to be the case whether we're talking about baptism in the Eucharist or whether we're talking about the, the blood and the water that flowed from his very heart. And yeah, because, I mean, like what, he, what he's explaining here is you're not trusting in something other than Christ. This is Christ. The blood of Christ is, is Christ. It's not the entirety of Christ. But it is Christ. It's like the hand of Christ. You're saying, well, you're, you know, the person, you know, trust in the, in the, so the, the lady who had the flow of blood or whatever, uh, that she touched the, the cloak of Christ or whatever. And she was, she was being healed by the, the relic of his cloak. It's like, no, no, she was healed by Christ. And he worked through this element, just like he works through the element of his blood, just like he works through the element of his body, just like he works through the element of the water of baptism. So yes, again, properly understood. I don't see a problem with that as with this, this part right here. Of course, there in the blood and water flowing out from his heart. Where do you think that blood and water is found? That blood and water that flows from his heart is found there in those sacraments. There. Those are his love for you. Those flow out of his heart for you. So then, uh, moving on, of course, there's nothing questionable or wrong about the Our Father, nothing questionable or wrong about the uh, the Apostles' Creed. Then you have these two questions. What about this, this prayer? Eternal Father, I offer you the body, the blood, the soul, the divinity of Jesus Christ, your dearly beloved Son, our Lord, for atonement for our sins and those of the world. The only controversy there is I offer you. Yeah. rather than you offer me. So in this regard, some would say that's not okay because, and this is the same as the Eucharistic sacrifice debate. Uh, I put out a response video on that earlier, previously, months, months ago. And in many ways, it's going to be the same thing I have to say about this. Except what I want to draw your minds to is, and again, I don't know if the Missouri Synod liturgy differs from the LBW's liturgy, but the LBW's liturgy in the offertory says, and obviously it's an offertory, right? But that offertory is structured around giving back to God that which he's given us, right? So we, we come and we offer you the gifts which you have first given to us, ourselves, our time, our possession, signs of your gracious love. Receive them for the sake of him who offered himself for us, right? So it, let me ask you, is it wrong to offer to God what he's given us? Because if it is... Depends. It depends on, it depends on what it is. Uh, God offers us the forgiveness of sins. We don't offer God back the forgiveness of sins. God offers us money, time, talents, etc. We do offer those things back to God. So there's some things that God has given to people that he also requires. Of, I mean, think about Cain and Abel. Uh, they, they were required to give, they sacrificed some of what God had given to them. Um, but we don't, we don't automatically take everything that God has given to us and then offer it back to God, and not necessarily in that way. So if God gives us forgiveness of sins, or say the Eucharist, or baptism, we don't offer the Eucharist back to God. We don't offer baptism back to God. We don't offer, yeah, I mean, um, so it depends. It depends. Not only is the Divine Mercy Chaplet's prayer, but so also the Lutheran Offertory wrong, like sinfully wrong. But if that's right, if that's not just okay and permissible, but right, if, if that liturgically gets something true about theology, and it does, right, that when we when we give of ourselves, when we give of our money, we are giving up what God has given us to... Let me, let me see. Ah, because I have so many books on here. How are all these books? Uh, where do we have? Oh, Offertory. Is that in here? PS3. Don't look at the book. It's copyright. All right, leave that. From the day. Offertory. So this is the offertory. This is divine service setting three. There's different divine service settings. Uh, create in me a clean heart of God and renew a right spirit. I'm going to get copyright struck if, if, if I sing this, so don't you complain. I do chant it, <laughs> but don't complain that I'm not singing it. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. So we're not in that, for example, we're not offering back to God the Holy Spirit. We're not offering back to God the forgiveness of sins. So not everything that we receive from God is offered back to God. Uh, but some things absolutely are, like like money and, 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 and 
Um, if like we offer our prayers to God, uh, and because God gives us the faith to pray and, and the Holy Spirit, um, he perfects our prayers and brings them to God. You could say, I guess you could say that the prayers come from God and then kind of return to God uh, in a degree. But I, I really don't see that happening. The whole, the whole re-sacrificing thing, that was, that was a, that's a different, uh, the Eucharistic sacrifice type thing. Yeah, that's, that's a can of worms. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't seen his other video about it. I think uh, Wolf Miller had a, had a very good video about this a while back. Um, Jay Coops might have had one too. All right. Give to others to actually join him in that, in that, um, that gift of the self to others, that act of love uh, for the whole world, um, that we are joining ourselves in that. There's something good and right about that. Then so also is this prayer fine. So also would that go down also into even Christ's own self now? Is that to say that's the way that we should speak of the Eucharist and of uh, Christ's death as we are offering it up on the altar? That's not what I'm saying. Simply what I'm saying is something for you uh, to think about. Now, as this um, uh, final final concept of um, for the sake of a sorrowful passion of mercy on us, there's nothing wrong with that. So really, you're just dealing with these these three these three questions with the Divine Mercy Chaplet. You're 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 wondering basically, is it sinful to pray the pre-trent Hail Mary? No. Um, is it sinful to pray okay. um, that we trust in the blood and water that have come forth through Jesus' side? No. Why? Agreed. So first, why is it not sinful to pray the pre-trent Hail Mary? Because it's Scripture verbatim. Why is it not simple sinful? Sorry, uh, to pray the uh, what's it called again? Sorry, the uh, <laughs> The body and blood, yeah. Be trusting in the blood and water that come forth through Jesus' heart because they are him, himself, right? Sure. Uh, why is it um, not, a, not a sin to say, I offer you the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ? For the same reason that it's not sinful to offer up in the offertory that which he's first given us. That's yes, it. That's the reason. If that's wrong, if the Divine Mercy Chaplet's wrong, then the Lutheran liturgy's wrong. The Lutheran liturgy's right, and that's right too. So anyways, I hope that this has not stirred up too much controversy. I'm going to probably lay low for the next few weeks after this. Uh, I God hope bless this you, please. Um, if you're mad at me, just forgive me all my sins. Uh, <laughs> and as for, as for Pastor Cal, um, you know, Maybe I, I came off uh, as being upset or something. I'm not upset. Uh, he's a Missouri Synod pastor. He does what he does well. All I will say is we're coming from different perspectives, different orientations in our Lutheranism, um, and we come with different uh, different thoughts, different concepts, and I think that's that's fine. Uh, do I still think I'm right? Yes, I do. Uh, do I think he is saved? Yes. Do I think he's Lutheran? Okay. Yes. You know. Uh, but in, in things like this and liturgics and Adiaphora, of course, I don't think we're really going to see eye to eye very often. I think that's fine. That's okay. Um, so anyways, that's all I have to say about the matter. This has been, uh, I guess, my response to uh, Pastor Cal's um, thoughts against the Lutheran Rosary. These are my thoughts, not necessarily even for the Rosary, simply to say, I don't think pastors should be out here uh, saying these things are wrong or these private devotions are wrong or actually doing these things that are Adiaphora are wrong. I think that is, is really too far. And I think that really uh, completely denies that they're actually Adiaphora. And it is no longer a thing indifferent. It is no longer a thing permissible, but it's now become for many a thing forbidden and it should never have been. And this, I guess, is my case why. Uh, you can drop some comments as to what you think. Uh, please uh, be nice uh, if you can. Uh, if you want to make a response video, that's great. Do so. Um, anyways, yeah, God bless you all. All right. So again, thank you so much uh, for Pastor Connor and and all the work that he put into this video and all the research and all the kind of formulating of his of his ideas and stuff like that. Um, and I don't think I mean if he came across as irritated or whatever, you know, God bless him. Because look, in the Bible we have examples of people who are very passionate about uh, passionate about the the things of God, and I think that's a good thing. I don't think he came across in this video saying, "Oh, you know what." Pastor, he keeps calling me Pastor Cal. He fixes it. Uh, <laughs> you know, the funny thing is my Facebook name is fake. My Discord name is fake. My real name is not Paladin Actual. All of these names are fake. You have no idea who I am. I'm so good. <laughs> good. Not, not because I can't be held accountable, but because hopefully this is a, this, you know, people will listen to what I have to say and not care about who I am. Um, but it's just funny that he calls me Pastor Cal. That's a, um, that's not, he's not the first person to, to do that. Um, but I think that he does, I think he did a wonderful job. I think he did an excellent job. Um, and if this is, again, this is the first video that I've seen from his, his channel. As you, as you heard, I agreed with a lot of it. I disagreed with some of it. Um, if this is the quality of, of a lot of his other videos, then I definitely think that it's going to be worth, uh, kind of listening, listening to them as well. Um, although I'm not going to listen to them yet because I still have to listen to brother Logan's response to, um, 
uh, to the Lutheran Rosary. And I think he's going to get more specific into the Lutheran Rosary itself. Uh, Pastor Connor here, he gave a lot, a lot, a lot of historical explanation, but not just of the Lutheran Rosary, but just kind of of, uh, of adiaphora, of church practices, of liturgics, of church history, of all kinds of other really cool, wonderful things. Um, so I expect that the, the video, again, I haven't seen the video from Brother Logan, but uh, I expect that that should be, that should be interesting as well. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be as, as long as this one. Uh, this is wonderful that I was able to get, haha, <laughs> I was able to get two, two episodes out of this. And hopefully I'm able to kind of, um, I'm able to kind of focus some, some attention to, hey, he, he's laying low. He says he's laying low. Pastor Connor is laying low. I'm, I'm the opposite. I'm overwhelmed with all kinds of stuff that I have to take care of. But, uh, but a good, a good theological scrap every once in a while, I think is wonderful. I think it's wonderful, especially since he and I both agree that this is an, an issue that sends people to heaven or hell. Um, this is an issue that we can discuss as Christians, passionately, zealously, enthusiastically, and biblically. So with that, uh, I hope I hope that um, again this was edifying, educational, and possibly entertaining. Uh, there will be more regarding this. I am developing my own Lutheran Rosary based on the things that I'm learning from these videos, uh, and I think I'm pretty sure I can develop something um, something pretty cool, um, and it'll be an entirely new practice, <laughs> and uh, and it'll be it'll probably be awful. Or Ed Cruson will pick it up. Um, or CBH will pick it up and sell it for twice as much. But, uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, CBH. I love you guys. But please make more audiobooks. I, I, I love that stuff the most. Uh, anyways, hope this was uh, hope this was was something for you, something good for you. God bless you all. Take care. <laughs>